Hey there and welcome to the Skin Lovers Unite podcast. My name is Kelly, otherwise known as Skin Queen, and I'm so excited to educate you on all things real skin science. Over the past five years, I've gone from working as a dermal therapist to a clinical educator where I worked with some of Australia's leading skincare companies, learning so much about the skin and science behind how it all works. And now I'm here to share all my knowledge with you. Let's jump right into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm very much looking forward to talking about today's uh, topic, which is going to be all about dermaplaning. Dermaplaning is something that I have had lots of people request on the podcast for ages. And to be honest, I don't know why I haven't done it sooner, but this is a topic that I'm really excited to get into because it's probably one of the treatments that I see being performed incorrectly a lot of the time, but it's also one of those treatments that I think people don't fully understand the benefits of it either, or probably what could go wrong in the skin as well. I just see a lot of people posting it on Instagram. It's a very Instagrammable treatment. It draws a lot of new clients in, but there are definitely, you know, some risks that need to be considered when performing this treatment. So a little bit about my experience with the treatment. So about two years ago, I got a job as a clinical educator with a company who actually manufactures and distributes the dermaplaning equipment and also does the training in it as well. And so for that reason, I had to be trained in dermaplaning. And then part of my job role was to go out to different clinics who were bringing the treatment into their salon and train them in the treatments as well. So I did that for probably 18 months before I obviously quit my job to go full-time in Skin Queen. And from there, I still had a bit of a reputation for being a dermaplaner trainer. Oh my gosh, (laughs) a dermaplaner trainer. Um, And I began to have a lot of clinics reach out to me, wanting me to come into their space and train their staff, which is exactly what I have been doing for the past six months. And funnily enough, did one just last week. I probably do one dermaplaning training a month, which is just crazy, but it never ceases to amaze me that when I go in, people's understanding of what the treatment is versus what it actually is are two different things. So that's why I wanted to do this podcast episode as well. So for those who haven't got it in their clinic or have been considering getting it into clinic or see it on Instagram all the time, that you have some more information so that you can feel really empowered and you can make the right decision. So you've probably heard that I've called it two different things now as well. So I think most people know it as dermaplaning, whereas I used to call it epidermal leveling, but it's more or less the same. What it really is, is it is a metal scalpel or a stainless steel scalpel that when performed correctly will remove the peach fuzz and the quote unquote dead skin cells on the surface of the skin. Now I say quote unquote dead skin cells because I don't fully believe that your stratum corneum is a dead layer of skin. I do think that it serves a very important purpose and I do believe that sometimes this treatment could be performed incorrectly and unnecessarily. So if you hear me change them between dermaplaning and epidermal leveling, just know that they are the exact same thing. 
Now, my real interpretation of this treatment is I really love to call it the modern day microdermabrasion. So for those who have worked with micro, for those that have been in the industry for ages, you will know that microdermabrasion is a form of exfoliation and also too, given that it has that suction power, can be a really good form for lymphatic drainage and we all love to see the little filter in the middle where it collects all of the dirt, the debris, the hair and the dead skin. But I really believe that in a epidermal leveling treatment, it is far more effective at removing everything on the top surface of the skin because you're really scraping and removing everything to start fresh once again. And when it comes to it, they're really the two main benefits to remove peach fuzz and to remove dead skin cells. But this is where it can get tricky because for some people, they want to perform it quite regularly, so weekly or fortnightly. And, you know, if you're overperforming this treatment and for most people, their skin cells are already dehydrated and impaired, then it's only going to cause more skin issues. The only time when I would be performing it is if people, you know, have already quite a dry skin, a buildup of dead skin, and they are on a home care routine, and they are being quite diligent with their facial oils and with their moisturizers to help replenish that barrier and help for the stratum corneum to re-epithelialize as quick as it can. When we do epidermal leveling, Um, It does take about 72 hours for those skin cells to re or for the stratum corneum rather to re-epithelialize and that's really important to note because the first 72 hours after treatment or after epidermal leveling treatment are going to be quite sensitive. So it's during this time that we have to tell our clients really nourish your barrier function and really nourish your skin. For me, that's when I recommend using things like CBD oil um, or oils that have omega-3s, essential fatty acids, Um, definitely using a moisturizer. You can use hyaluronic acid and then definitely avoiding a physical SPF as well. Sorry, a chemical SPF because that is going to potentially irritate the skin too. I would only be sticking to using um, a mineral SPF too. My recommendation is my sunny skin in this um, situation. But when you already have a skin that is quite dry and impaired and then you're going to be performing epidermal leveling, you are going to leave the client open to more risk of scratches, of grazing, of sensitivity, of redness, of irritation and all of those other unpleasant things that people are already experiencing with barrier impairment. So that's one really important thing to note. Hey there, I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you are a beauty therapist who is hungry to learn more about skin science, skin histology, and skin concerns, and really level up your confidence around treating the skin and getting real results for your clients, then I have something for you. My course, Upgrade Your Skin Science Knowledge in 10 Days. When I first started on my journey, I really struggled to find resources online where I could learn more about the skin that didn't break the bank and really helped me to develop as a therapist. And over the past few years, I've had so many others tell me the exact same, which is exactly why I created it. So if you are listening to this and you've been searching for an amazing online resource that teaches you lots about skin, then check out my course, Upgrade Your Skin Science Knowledge in 10 Days. And don't forget to use the code 
SLU for Skin Lovers Unite, SLU50 to get 50% off your purchase. Now let's get back to today's episode. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is dry epidermal leveling versus wet epidermal leveling because sometimes I'll see on Instagram people performing oil planing. And oil planing, from my understanding, it's not something that I've ever trained. And it's not a common thing that is recommended. But my understanding is that oil planing is when you're using an oil cleanser of or an oil of some sort on the skin. And then you're using that as a little bit of a glide to remove any dead skin, um, peach fuzz and debris. However, I just think that could almost be like like blading and dermaplaning off that oil over, off the skin rather than actually getting rid of the dead skin and the peak trials, which at the end of the day, that's what the client wants. They want to walk away feeling peach fuzz free. They want to walk away feeling really smooth, instantly radiant, glowing, healthy skin. And that's what they get from a dry dermaplaning treatment. So in my experience, like I don't find a lot of clinics do it. If it's something that you're offering in clinic and you've never heard of it and you want to, I mean, feel free to give it a go and report back to me because Like I'm always interested to hear what everybody is doing out there and I'm only going off my experience when I talk on this podcast. Now when I do train uh, dermaplaning, it is something that I say, look, at most you can do it every seven to 10 days if people really want that matte feeling on their face, if they have a lot of peach fuzz. I always stress though this isn't a hair removal tool. So it's not going to remove any terminal hairs or any um, big thick hairs. The next thing that people always ask me first and foremost, which I can't believe that I didn't even start with this, is will my hair grow back thicker? The thing that I always explain with this is for those who shave their legs, which direction do you shave? You usually shave from your ankles up to your knees. However, the hair grows the opposite way, grows angled down to your ankles. But when we're actually dermaplaning, we're doing it with the growth of the hair so that it doesn't come back feeling as thick too. And that is one key mistake and one thing that I recommend not to do when it comes to performing this treatment. The one thing that whenever I see it on Instagram, I cringe. Whenever I post on Instagram, people are like, oh my gosh, did you like that treatment? Because I experienced my hair came back feeling quite rough and prickly and thick. And the reason mainly is because it's been an incorrect technique. So whenever I'm training epidermal leveling, I always train to go with the direction of the hair. So that means when you're coming down the side of the face, down towards the chin, you know, oftentimes I see people leveling up the face and scraping the hair and the dead skin up the face. Oh, and even saying that right now, like my heart sunk. I'm like, please don't do that. Always go from the side of the face down because then you're going to have a softer grow back of the hair. The next thing too is that sometimes people will experience a few breakouts after epidermal leveling. And my number one key tip to avoid that from happening is to actually apply a fruit enzyme mask of some sort after you do the treatment to eat away any remainder dead skin and to stop any blockage of any follicles that could then create that little breakout on the skin because that's essentially what's happening. You might have a little bit of dead skin or debris um, or fresh re-epithelialized skin and those little hairs are trying to poke through or your sebaceous glands are a little bit blocked 
and that's when you get a little bit of a breakout. So two key tips, always epidermal with the hair growth. So going down and around the face and it can be quite tricky because then you've got to change your angles a million times, but that's okay because it's better to do a correct treatment than a incorrect treatment. And then always apply a fruit enzyme mask afterwards just to eat any of those remaining stratum corneum cells and to stop any blockages within the follicles. So generally when I train this treatment too, the one thing that I always recommend is yes, you can do it as a standalone, but you are always going to get maximum results when you actually pair it with something else. So I always give different suggestions. So for example, you might choose to do it with just a basic facial and that might be your exfoliation step. Think about how when we used to do microdermabrasion as an add-on into every second treatment, we would do an add-on micro before our peels or we would do an add-on micro in our facials or we would do a micro with a LED and mask combo. It is the exact same thing with epidermal leveling. The key thing to note here though is that if somebody was brand new to your clinic and you've never treated them before, I wouldn't bring them in first go and do epidermal leveling, a 50% lactic peel followed by a mask and an LED because (laughs) I don't know their skin, let's be honest. So always start off slow and build them up. But essentially all we're doing is creating that exfoliation step so that anything that we do after the epidermal leveling is going to get a maximum absorption into the skin. So one of my absolute favorite combos to do is to do epidermal leveling followed by vitamin A peel followed by an LED mask, which is my absolute, absolute favorite. Or my other favorite is to do epidermal leveling followed by an oxygenation treatment. And my go-to is the Societe oxygenation treatment because it's so great for oxygenating the skin, obviously, making my skin look really glowy and radiant rather than dull and lackluster. And also it fights free radical damage. So it really helps to mop up those free radicals within the skin and set my skin on the right path. Now, there are a few other things that you shouldn't do as well, and that is to epidermal level on sunburn. And this can be like, it might seem like a bit bit of an obvious one, but where it has caught me out before is a little while ago, I was doing training with a therapist and she had a model come in. We actually went through all of the questions with her, asked if you've been sunburned in the past two weeks, um, any recent sun exposure, exposure, she was like, no, 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 no. As we started epidermal leveling her, we actually started removing her natural tan on her forehead. And I was like, oh, I think we may have grazed you. And this, you will only find out 24 hours after you've done the treatment. And if you have grazed somebody, don't fret, just give them lots of moisturizers and repair balms. And the skin tends to bounce back within 48 hours. But upon further investigation, she was like, oh, well, I was out in the sun. I got brown. I didn't get sunburnt though. But what that meant was that those skin cells on the surface, you know, really, really epithelialized and they were darker on the surface. And that's what we scraped away with epidermal leveling. Epidermal leveling is far more effective than microdermabrasion in my personal opinion and really works to scrape everything off that your bloody blade can grab. So you've got to be so careful because what essentially happened was this poor client was walking around with grazers on her forehead for two days, which 
nobody likes. We did bring her in. We gave her a society sheet mask. We did put her under LED um, as well as lots of repair bums, but still it's not good, especially if people are paying for this treatment too. Another thing not to do is never do this on somebody who has really active pustular cystic acne for obvious reasons, because one, that might hurt. Two, you might spread the bacteria. And three, avoid doing epidermal leveling on men's facial hair. So if you have a male client who has a mustache or a beard or facial hair, oh, please avoid that (laughs) because it does really get caught up in the blade and it can be quite uncomfortable. So definitely avoid that at all costs. But apart from that, this treatment is amazing if somebody's wanting a little bit of a refresh, if you're wanting to get maximum absorption of a peel or maximum absorption of other ingredients. It's also great for people who, you know, can't have many other treatments. So if people are pregnant or breastfeeding, usually they can be a little bit limited to what they can have, but they can definitely have epidermal leveling. Um, And also really great if people are quite hairy on their face and I mean that in the nicest of ways but I've definitely treated my fair share of Greeks and Italians over the past two years and they love getting this treatment for just their little sideburn area because it really helps their makeup to sit nice helps them to feel more feminine and fresh which is always the goal so when it comes to training if you do live in Australia please reach out to me because I obviously offer epidermal leveling training combined with a certificate Otherwise, always reach out to your local esthetician network because there are so many different people that train it. The thing to note is how long have they been training it for? And I would just be looking at their videos that they're posting on social media to see if they're actually epidermal leveling with the hair growth or against the hair growth. If they're doing it against the hair growth, I would be wary to get training by them because that's not the correct method. Always want to go with the hair growth so that the hair doesn't grow back feeling as spiky and thick. Of course, if you have any questions about epidermal leveling or if you found this episode interesting, please let me know. And if I could ask everybody to do a super special favor for me, and that would be to give my podcast a little review and a rating, especially if you're using the Apple podcast apps, that would mean the absolute world to me. I saw I've got one feed, a little comment there the other day, and I was like jumping for joy. I was so excited. And I just love to know who's in my community and I love to know that I'm actually helping everybody in the community. But I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. This is something that I love chatting about and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it or learned something new, be sure to share this on Instagram and tag me at Skin Queen. That's queen with three E's and I'll be sure to repost you. Have an amazing day and stay moisturized.